Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. My guest today is Dick Vitak. He's a researcher, water quality, and sorry, ecotoxicology. We're going to talk about the presence of microplastics in human blood and uh, water quality issues that he works on as well. Um, for the rest of his bio, I'll let uh, Dick describe it because there's uh, various Dutch words that I'm probably going to mispronounce. But uh, Dick, thank you for coming. Yeah, very welcome. Well, thank you very much for uh, having me. Well, I'm, um, yep. let's say I'm not a medical scientist. Uh, in fact, I'm, my training is biology and, and toxicology. I'm not working anymore, you know, an emeritus professor, as we call it, and I've partly retired for several years now, but I'm I'm still quite active in the field of microplastic research. So, okay. uh, yeah. Why, why are you active in it? What do you like about it? What fascinates you? Well, I started a couple of things, you know, before my uh, my retirement, and I want just to finish them in a proper way. And I can see that I can make a sort of difference, you know. I I have a good network, and I... I it's it's about your legacy, you know, what you, and, and I'm not ready yet to stop. <laughs> and that's one thing. The other thing is, of course, you know, I have a little kid here as well. So if I look in the future of, the, of this planet, you know, I I think, you know, there's a lot of work still to be done. Yeah. So what aspects of uh, microplastics are you still looking into? What kind of questions are you trying to answer? Well, uh, the thing is, I, I started to look at microplastics, uh, let's say, 15 years ago for the first time in the ocean. Uh, but then I, I, I moved to the fresh waters, to seabed treatment plants, you know, as, as, as potential sources. And then from there, we discovered that these microplastics were about everywhere, you know, also in, in the air. So in fact, uh, at one point in time, we realized, you know, that we are breathing in, we eating and drinking microplastics all of the time. So then I moved to the, to the human health side of, of this issue. By we published in 2016 paper, a little paper in environmental science technology stating microplastics debris is a human health issue. So there my duty, my roadmap started, you know, into this adventure. And so we started to look for for money, for funding to start researching to this issue, this human health issue. And from there in 2018, this is Way, which is the, the organization for health research in the Netherlands. They funded 15 breakthrough projects on this issue, a one-year project, but very, very challenging, but very spectacular. And, and, and the thing is, you know, the blood, the microplastics in blood study you referred to is one of these breakthrough projects. So there are, there are several other projects as well that gave quite some interesting results. Now, these results were already available for a while because in 2000, in 2020, I think we started to set up this consortium, this momentum consortium with 27 partners, uh, including the public and the private sector, but also I think about 10 different universities and, and other research organizations in the Netherlands 
So with five, about 5.5 million euros, we started this three-year project. I think we were a front runner in this respect in the Netherlands, uh, looking at this potential health issue. And so that was my adventure. I became co-coordinator of this momentum and it's still running. And at the moment, I'm even now looking for, for money for follow-up, you know, because I can see, you know, this is not a question of three years research. I think we probably need 10, 15 years of research oh, to yeah. tackle some of these problems. Well, it's a new field and a lot of people have questions. Um, yeah. Tell me about the uh, microplastics and blood research. Uh, I don't know how closely you're involved, but what, what kind of things did you study and what did you find out? Well, that was quite quite something. Uh, we started to look at that as a team eh, at, at the Free University of Amsterdam. I, I'm just one of the co-authors uh, of this paper. So I'm, I'm not a chemist, but the work was published in Environmental International this year. And the social media, they went crazy over it. You know, the article has already been cited more than uh, 300 times in half a year time. You know, it's amazing. So it's kind uh, of crazy to have microplastics in your blood. It is. You know, the first thing it made me think of, uh, yeah, the first but, thing it made me think was that people with leaky gut syndrome probably are a lot more prevalent to it. But that was just well, my speculation. Yeah, this is speculation, but I think we expected something like that. You know, we knew it already for many other animals, like aquatic or animals, but also uh, rodents. You know, that if you expose them to micro nanoplastics, they uh, these particles are rapidly taken up in the circulation, and, and so the, the, we we could expect something like that. Particles can enter the blood system, the circulation in humans. As, as you know, but what's a bit surprising, the size of the particles, the upper size limit. So what were some of the sizes and what was unexpected? They were much bigger than you'd expect? Or what? Yeah, they were, they're still, we, we still don't know exactly what the upper size limit is, you know, but usually we know about nano-sized plastic. They can take these barriers, you know, but uh, we find particles as large as 20, 20 micrometer that can cross these, these, these epithelium membranes, for example. And so that can, that can, can enter the blood system. So it is, it's, it's quite a new field. What we have done here, uh, we developed a, a, a robust and um, a sensitive method for polymer mass concentrations in blood. Okay? So we used we used a, a, what we call a double-shot gas chromatography mass spectrometry method. And that means this is a destructive method. And maybe you've heard of other studies, you know, that, that reported on microplastics in lung tissue or in placentas. They used a different method. They looked at the, they used spectroscopic methods. So they looked at the particles themselves and the particle sizes. We used the destructive method. So we destructed using pyrolysis. Uh, we destructed in, in several steps the plastics. Then we ended up, you know, uh, quantifying the, the, the thermal products of the plastic particles in, in the samples. And, and we, then we come up mass concentration rather than a particle number. So these are different methods. And it's well, a new destructed stuff by pyrolysis. Were the yeah. original polymers preserved, or what? What broke down, and what stayed? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, initially, you That's... know, the, the volatile compounds like the additives, etc., they are thermally extracted from the sample uh, at relatively low temperature. I think two hundred degrees, and then the, the next shot, the next step is the same sample paralyzed at a higher temperature, and then you destroy the polymers themselves. It's a semi-quantitative technique that quantifies the, the thermal degradation products of the plastic particles present in the sample. And so, what are you able to quantify? If you do, you do like low temperature paralysis, so 
the molecules are still preserved or, you know, at what temperature do they all just essentially combust or break down? I think it was 400 degrees. Um, are you doing it in the absence of air? To, again, yeah, in absence of air, yes. Of oxygen, yeah. Of oxygen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Okay. So first so, of all, some of the surprises were that you had pretty large microplastics, like you said, up to 20 microns. No, yeah, yeah. Well, I said that, um, you know, that, 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 that is just coming from other studies where we, we used in vitro uh, experiments, you know, uh, with animal and human cell lines. And we find that around a high level, but I said, you know, large particle sizes that are capable to, uh, to cross these barriers. But that is a different story. But it has something to do with this as well, because, you know, if you only have a mass and we determined for the first time mass of plastic particles in blood, then you that could be contributed attributed to, to maybe a couple of larger particles or maybe many many small particles we don't know the other side of the story you know we need other complementary methods to say something about the particle distributions and particle size distribution etc etc probably also the shapes and this is something that is still in the pipeline before we continue I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Why don't they take the blood and maybe centrifuge it down and, you know, then run the uh, the remaining plastics through, uh, I don't know, a gas chromatograph if they can. Like, what would <laughs> they need to do? I mean, well, again, if you spun down the blood, if you centrifuged it, I would guess you could probably separate the plastics out of it, but then how would you analyze them, you know, while, while preserving them? Yeah, well, it's not so easy, you know. There is another key issue in, in this type of analysis, and that is the, the, the quality control of the background plastics that, you know, throughout the sampling and analysis is very key. I mean, we know that everything, uh, micro nanoplastics are about everywhere. So if you if you take your sample, it's like blood, you know, it can be very easily contaminated through the air, you know. From the air, or, or where you do the analysis in a certain room and you wear clothes, you know, that, that can release fibers, etc., that can contaminate your sample as well uh, during during the analysis, even. So, there is, you have to be very careful with that. That's why we use blanks, you know, in all these steps. And, and that is something that is commonly used, you know, in this, this sort of analysis, chemical analysis. You use blanks and you extract the amounts of. Uh, of, of micro nanoplastic you find in your blanks, you extract that from your uh, from your findings in your blood sample. Because microplastics are everywhere, a lot can yeah. fall into the sample, I guess, or abrade off of the lab equipment. Yeah, same thing, you know. So the thing is, you know, if you if you you have to realize, you know, if you if you take blood, you know, you can you, you should use no plastics. You should so that you should uh, or people's clothing or. Yeah. Or, 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 or I guess there's a lot of sources of it. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. that's why you use these blanks, you know. Hmm. So blanks means, you know, you use a ureter disc there, right, you know, and see how much is depositing on, on, coming from the air, you know, how much is the fallout on this on this petrol disc. And so you can have an idea about uh, 
the potential contamination, course contamination. But having said that, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done, you know, because this is a pioneer study where we looked, we took samples from 22 healthy blood donors from the general population. And again, also the size, eh? the size range captured is determined, uh, the diameter of the, the sterile stainless needle, you know, was which was 0.5 millimeters. And the, and, and at the end, the, 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 the lower limit was determined by the class filter mass size of 700 nanometers. So we only looked at a particular size range uh, within these micro nanoplastics uh, class. But also, uh, we looked only, let's say, at, at only five, uh, five or six target polymer types. So we looked at the mo- a couple of commodity plastics. So again, you know... Okay. It, it is just the first step, but there's much more work to be done because we are exposed to many more polymer types than just the five target types. We- what are some last conclusions that came from those experiments that you read? Was there a, did they appear to prove that there was a substantial amount of microplastics? Did they, you know, were any, any of the experimenters able to clarify what kind of microplastics and how many? Yeah, so what we found is we talked to these five high-production volume polymers that we use in daily life, like PET, PE, polyethylene, polymers of styrene, etc. I think these were the most widely encountered. Uh, and then we also found, I think, in some of these donors, we found polymethyl acrylate. And in none of these samples, we couldn't find any PP polypropylene particles. So if you look at the mean sum concentrations of these plastic particles in blood, which was 1.6 microgram per microliter, that is quite high, you know, if you compare that to river water or whatever. So we don't, at that point, we say, you know, we've proved that there is, there is plastic particles present in the blood, but we, we have to confirm these, these concentrations, you know, it is just the very first study very small numbers of donors we looked at. And we need to extend the numbers of donors and, and maybe also the number of polymer types and also further probably, you know, to uh, mature the, the method. And that's 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 work is now already underway, you know, in this momentum consortium. All right, but, uh, okay, so what, any other experimentation that you were, you read about or you were involved in that just amazed you or blew you away? That blew me away. Well, what, yeah, like what, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty in, into this field, you know, but I was really surprised, you know, for me, for me, this, this type of research is basically putting different disciplines together. Uh, I'm an environmental toxicologist and now I work with medical specialists, medical experts, scientists. They have their own methods. They have their own ideas. And if you put them together with our ways and our methods, you know, you, so you see, you have a win-win situation because there's so much you can, you win from, from, from working together. And that's exactly what opened my eyes. I think two years ago, I was asked by a group in Austria, and this is a, a medical hospital, veterinarian and medical hospital in Vienna. I was asked to advise them on, on, a, on a microplastics research proposal. They were one of the first there as well. And the thing is, they were focusing completely only on the carcinogenic effects of particles, microparticles, microplastic particles, and nanoplastic particles, carcinogenic effects, which we never realized, you know, that could be an issue as well. But now we have a team there of oncologists uh, 
that are focusing particularly on this is for me a very exciting thing you know that is one thing and another example is with which i find very intriguing is these particles as you know you know we're not just exposed to these particles we're exposed to both particles and, and these additives that can leach out from these particles but there is also this issue of the the corona formation once in the environment the, the surface it will be covered with what we call an eco-corona that, that contains uh, natural matter, but uh, but also biomolecules like lipids, for example, uh, and chemical and, and microbiological contaminants, etc., etc. And this corona on the surface of this particle is, is depending on the surrounding conditions, of course, in the environment. And that adds significantly to complexity of, of the, the of the micro-nanoplastics, you know, because they they play a, quite an important role, I think, in the in the fate and toxicity of these particles. And you see a lot of experiments that have been done now with micro-nanoplastics are done with virgin, uh, primarily uh, the polystyrene particles. And now we see more and more results with wetted microplastics that so that contain this corona, uh, where we find more positive results. So positive results in terms of, of potential health effects. So that, that is quite an intriguing thing because this corona is changing, the composition is changing if you go from the outside to the inside across organs. And it's very complex, but it, it's, a, it, for me, a very intriguing, exciting. Well, okay. So what they've identified that what, like coronavirus will take harbor on microplastics? Is that what you're saying? For example, there are, there are some studies that that suggest that the COVID COVID could, could virus could could be transmitted through plastic aerosols, for example. Well, well, in general, I mean, do these microplastics have their own unique microbiomes? You know, with various bacteria. they have distinct microbiomes. Yes, they have distinct. That could also include pathogens, human pathogens. Oh, pathogens. Okay, I'm sorry, I couldn't. Yeah, I yeah. understand. What have you seen from uh, looking at the microbiome associated with microplastics? Is it uh, you know, has anyone done metagenomics to see the, the function of the bacteria that are on the microplastics? So they just they're using it as a substrate and eating it, or you know, what seems to be the function of the of the micro of the microbiome associated with? Well, so far, as we understand that the, you know these microplastics on ingestion, they could they could influence they could influence the the, uh, the gut microbiome. There are some studies that, that suggest that. And of course, you know they, they you have to realize that these microplastics that wow. these biofilms they yeah. have to, to cross also the uh, the harsh conditions of, of the, the stomach. <laughs> Other research projects have you again looked at that uh, that I don't know you feel like really informed you a lot about. Uh, the future consequence of microplastics. Other projects where I well, most of these projects they they I'm I'm partly involved in is our in vitro uh, uh, work. You know where we use human cell lines to understand you know the the, the this corona formation and, and and let's say the uptake and, and translocation of these particles through uh, internal and all of course external membranes. And that is one thing, um, but. Uh, there is, it's quite exciting work going on. The thing is, you need to understand the internal doses. Uh, first of all, the internal doses to say something about, you know, to, to determine the, um, the risk. I mean, what would, okay. What, what would constitute a, um, I guess we don't even know how much, again, the microplastics load that people get in different situations. No, we don't know yet. Certain, certain ones, it's incredibly high, some low. No, we don't know yet. 
the thing is, you know, we, we need to look at the, we need biomonitoring studies where we look at the general, general population. And, and that means that you, uh, I mean, if I, if I drink from a, from a, from a paper cup now that is, that is filled with, uh, hot coffee, but these paper cups, you know, they have a, a an inside on a lining of polyethylene. I'm exposed to, you know, when I drink it, I'm exposed to fast numbers of micro nano uh, P uh, particles. Uh, so these very high acute exposures, they they happen uh, all the time, you know. Uh, also, you know, when you cook, uh, you know, in, in uh, using plastic, uh, like these pans that have to, uh, these these plastic layers, the teflon layers, they release you if you scratch them or damage them, you, they release a huge amount of plastic particles that you inhale, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you, there are acute exposures of very high levels, but in general, we are, I think, in general, we are exposed all of the time to uh, to, to to these particles lifetime. And the thing is, you know, if we if we accumulate these particles, and we're not sure yet if they accumulate in certain organs, if uh, if they accumulate in our body, you know, then obviously I have much more of these plastic particles in my body. I'm I'm almost seventy years old now than you. You see what I mean? Well, has anyone been around there for decades already? These particles. What what about an experiment where people would, um, you know, just drink and eat and hang out and then urinate, you know, and they would look at the the urine. Like the like the exact example you gave. Would yeah, that could be one see of what the their baseline medicines. is, and then they no drink, let's say, a hot coffee in a cup, and then does it go up suddenly? Like, you know, how fast are microplastics cleared from the body? They looked at you know feces in yeah. urine. That is exactly. Uh, you need to know about the kinetics. You know how much is retained in the body, how much is excreted to urine or the bile, etc. And, and these studies are underway. I, I've never, I've not seen any study yet looking at. Uh, Micronanoplastic in urine, or looking at this, uh, this, uh, these bio, these kinetic in such a way, you know, that we can understand how much goes into the body and how much goes out and how much is retained in certain organs. Because the, well, the, even the, if you uh, didn't know what the load was, but you saw that someone had a certain amount, you know, let's say they they kept twenty four hour period, and you know, and then the you, you put them in a situation. Yeah. The thing is, you know, what we understand now is that. Most of these plastics you you pull out again, and that you most of the plastic you inhale, you cuff out, and you 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 swallow them, uh, and, and, and you put them out as well. So the thing is, you know, we understand so far that's only a very small fraction of particles that are actually capable of crossing these membranes, the external membranes in the gut or the lung, and so uh, potentially uh, reaching the circulation. Maybe it's less than one percent or something like that. We're not sure yet how much that is. Depends on the polymer types. I think uh, maybe also the, the corona formations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, the thing is, you know, we probably the, the very small, the downsized plastics, they are more easily taken up than the larger uh, micro-sized plastic or the smaller micro-sized plastics. But uh, there is still a lot we don't know about this. Uh, the only thing what we understand now is that you know, these, these micro nanoplastics, they, they, they exhibit similar uh, health effects, as we know already from well-studied uh, other insolutable particles, like black carbon, for example, or soot particles. Uh, and so uh, that is the only thing. And then the question, of course, is do they, yeah, as plastic particles, do they have a similar toxicological profile or maybe 
are they more toxic than these other ambient particles? Because we live in a multi-particle world. We're exposed to all these particles, the different particles. And now suddenly we have a new particle type here, plastic particles. And so uh, in that sense, uh, it, it is it's also so that you cannot say, you know, microplastics are causing a disease. Now, if they do, they contribute maybe to certain diseases because they're it multifactorial. There are other particle types as well that do the same thing. And uh, so uh, it is uh, something what I already said at the start, you know, that will take maybe five to 10, 15 years research to, to understand what's going on here. And that's why, you know, all the time I try to plead for this precautionary approach, you know, what are we doing here? I know a lot of additives are added to, you know, plastic bottles, plasticizers, you know, flame retardants, colors, things like that, you know, to to a lot of plastic items. So when plastic breaks down, it becomes, let's say, microplastics. Is it mostly backbone of the plastics that are left or a lot of these additives still left, you know, interwoven between the, yeah. you know, the molecules of, of backbone? Plastic. Well, that's a good question. I think that most of the additives probably leach out already in the first weeks, you know, or months when they are in the environment or in the water, for example. But we know that some of these additives are compounded in, in the polymer matrix. So they're really also in the center. So they can be released, you know, during this process of degradation where they fall apart in smaller and smaller and smaller particles. And that is the point that worries me most, you know, that if you look into the future, then we are dealing here with a very yeah, black scenario, you know. First of all, you know, that that the number of particles will rise in time. We know that. And because there's so much plastic around already in the environment and everywhere in our households and offices, you know, that will that will degrade, that will fall break down in smaller and smaller particles over time. Uh, rising constantly, rising these micro-nanoplastic levels, that we have to deal with that in the first place. But that there is still a lot of plastic debris and plastics to come in the coming years. You know, you can see there is no, we need legislation here to stop the flow of plastics. Otherwise, we are dealing with increasing levels, increasing levels, exposure levels. And in my case, I think, you know, I personally think with a health emergency in the future, of, of this type of plastics. And so that's why I, that keeps me also going, you know, that uh, I can see, you know, there are some things you can do about it on a personal level. But if you look in the world now at the moment, you know, these crises, biodiversity, uh, air pollution, uh, climate change, I think plastic is only, it, it has quite some relationship with all of these other crises as well. I think we have to combine forces here. And to see, you know, what's happening, uh, we need legislation. There, there's some work done already now uh, in the European Union. There is this plastic treaty in Eureka, I think it was. Uh, but it, it's very slow progress. So slow progress, you know. Mm. That worries me. That worries me. So, and, okay. What, what do you think is going to be the, um, I don't know, I guess the, the future of microplastics over the next five or 10 years, it seems like, yeah, the progress is like a snail's pace. Um, I don't know how society will work without the omnipresent plastics that are just everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. But what do you think is going to happen over the next few years? Well, what I hope, what I hope is that, you know, that we will face out most of these, let's say the, 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 the bad plastics, the most ugly ones. Uh, so we have to identify these and then replace them with, you know, more, 
eco-friendly uh, materials or plastics. You know, I think plastic will still be the future somehow. You know, I can see that, but we have to to find out first of all what are the bad and the ugly guys and and what are the good guys. So so we can replace some of these of the most ugly ones. We have to reduce the amount of plastics in in the whole system. So and of course look for alternative materials at the same time. Uh, it, and it's, it's not easy, you know, because you you want. If you look at these companies, you know, you, you, we talked about these additives. For many of them are endocrine disrupting chemicals. That was a, there's a similar issue there that is already 20, 30 years going on, you know, and there's still a lot of opposition. There's a lot of lobby by the industry, you know, to keep these endocrine disrupting chemicals alive, you know, and use them in all sorts of products. And this is a similar story. So I'm a bit pessimistic if I think about the future. Legislation, I think I've never seen any environmental problem solved without any legislation. So the, the industry should maybe uh, pay taxes, et cetera, et cetera, and all these these incentives that, that may work. But yeah, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Again, you know, I'm, I'm, we have to see how much, how much plastics are really inside of our bodies. Do they accumulate? And what are these threshold levels where we can expect diseases or a contribution to diseases like, you know, that can, that can also be linked to all sort of, uh, you know, chronic, uh, chronic diseases like degenerative, degenerative chronic diseases. What's the best way for people to find out more about your work? You said you had a, you know, a substantial network. So where can people go? Do you have a website that people can look at or where can they go? Yeah, there are websites they can look at. Uh, yeah, well, what I can say, you, you you Google Dick Fethag plastics and you find all, all the, the items on the internet and the articles. We had an article out, I think, a couple of months ago in Think Global Health. And that article gives you a sort of summary of the state of research and the potential uh, health emergency we, we're facing. So that could be a good start, you know, to look at that a particular article. But of course, we have this Momentum Project in the Netherlands which can be found on the internet. And there are a lot of articles. We had the article in science. You know, we're not the only one, you know. There are many other scientists that produce excellent articles and and, and, and even provide information about this, this plastic, nanoplastics, uh, health issues. Okay. Well, very good. Dick, thank you for coming on the podcast. I, I appreciate your dedication to this field, even though you, you formally retired, but you're still working on it. So, again, thank yeah. you for being here. You're welcome. Take care there. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.